So our reading this morning is from Luke chapter 14, reading verses 25 to 35. These words I'm going to read today are God's word to us. They're his gift to um, us as the church. In 2 Timothy 3.16 describes these um, scriptures as God's God-breathed. And through them we're told of his divine love for us. And he reveals his, himself and his character to us through them. There's Bibles at the back of the church. If you don't have one, please take one and take it home with you if you don't have one at home. After the reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And we'll all respond together. Thanks be to God. Now let's hear the Lord speak to us this morning from Luke 14, 25 to 35. The cost of discipleship. Now great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt without taste is worthless. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, thank you for giving us your word. We're able to learn more about you and your love for us, but also that it is used to equip us and correct us in, to live our lives for you. I pray that you'll bless Andrew as he comes to speak to us. May you'll quiet our minds this morning as we listen to him explain this passage to us. Help us understand the cost, but also the joy that it is to follow you and be your disciple. In your precious name we pray. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks for that. If you are new or visiting with us, um, we're working our way through the Gospel of Luke, which is one of, uh, there's, there's four accounts of Jesus' life in the Bible, and we've just been working our, through, our way through this one. And so if you're, you're with us just for this Sunday, you're kind of getting a glimpse into where we, what, what God is saying to us in this moment in our church, and it's great to have you. Um, this is admittedly a very hard passage to understand. It feels quite hard-hitting. And uh, maybe even just as Lauren was reading that, you were shocked by some of the things that Jesus is saying. So um, we need to just kind of delve into this and uh, see what God has sent to us this morning and see how it applies to our lives. Uh, this week I read a story uh, about uh, Sir John Franklin's expedition in 1845 to discover the Northwest Passage across the Canadian Arctic Circle to the Pacific Ocean. So going from the Atlantic across the north of Canada to the Pacific Ocean. Uh, this was one of the most 
treacherous and dangerous voyages uh, that you could undertake at this time. But it went drastically wrong for John Franklin and his 138 men. Um, you see, instead of preparing for the extreme uh, dangerous voyage, um, they uh, brought everything they would need for a luxury cruise. They were accustomed to the luxury of being in the Royal, uh, the, the, the Royal Navy at the time. And so they set off in two ships, expecting the voyage to last around two years. They were sailing ships, but each ship had an auxiliary coal-fired steam engine in case they got into trouble. But instead of bringing extra coal, uh, each ship made room for a 1,200-volume library, a hand organ that could play 50 tunes. Essentially, that's like the hi-fi of the day. Uh, a china dinner sets for the men, cut glass wine goblets, and sterling silver cutlery. The cutlery was, was very ornate and was engraved with, with decorations and had the initials of, of every officer on it. So you'd have your own sterling silver cutlery. They brought no special clothing for the Arctic conditions, only their normal ornate Navy uniforms. Two months after they set off, a British whaling ship uh, met them in the Lancaster Sound, um, which is in the very northeastern part of Canada. But this was the last time that any European saw them alive. Years later, stories from the Inuit people of the area started to emerge. Uh, some had glimpsed men pushing and pulling wooden boats across the ice. Another group at a place called, appropriately, Starvation Cove, probably called Starvation Cove because of this story, uh, found a small boat and the remains of 35 men who had been dragging it. In another place, Inuits found a tent with the bodies of 30 men inside. For 20 years, search parties went out and recovered skeletons from all over the frozen sea. They found one clump of bodies surrounded by ornate sterling silver cutlery engraved with initials. Uh, American writer Annie Dillard, I don't know if you've ever heard of her, in her essay about this voyage, she wrote, another search party found two skeletons uh, with a boat on a sledge. They had hauled this boat 65 miles. With the two skeletons were some chocolate, some guns, some tea, and a great deal of silverware. Many miles south of these two skeletons was another skeleton alone. This was a frozen officer. The skeleton was in uniform, jacket and trousers of fine blue cloth, edged with silk braids and sleeves slashed and bearing five covered buttons each. Over this uniform, the dead man had worn a blue coat with a black silk neckerchief. She concludes, that was the Franklin expedition. So what had happened? Why did this go so terribly wrong? I think you probably already know the answer, right? It's clear that John Franklin and, and the 30, 138 men died because they underestimated the requirements of the journey. They had severely failed to prepare what would be required in order for them to make this journey. They wanted to take the most dangerous journey on, in the world, but instead of packing extra coal, Arctic clothes, I mean, who, who didn't think to bring a coat or a hat, right? They decided to bring expensive books and china plates and silver cutlery. They brought luxuries instead of necessities. In other words, they were unwilling to give up on the things that gave them comfort and pleasure in the pursuit of achieving their goals. Now, we might look back on this expedition and think, what a bunch of idiots, right? These stupid British officers, what were they doing? How could they have been so foolish? Of course they were going to die. How stupid are they? And it's easy to look back at them with judgmental eyes. And yet, could it be true that in our own journey with the Lord, in our own discipleship journey, that we are just as unprepared? When we read what Jesus says in this passage, 
we are forced to ask ourselves this morning, are we prepared for the mission of following Jesus? Are we prepared for this expedition? Do we put too much value on the luxuries and not enough on the necessities? In this passage, the Lord is asking us this morning, are we willing to give up everything to truly follow Jesus? I told you it was a hard passage. It's a hard question. Are we willing to give up everything to truly follow Jesus? We read in verse 25 that, that great crowds were following Jesus at this point. Uh, we saw last week he's at the most awkward dinner party, uh, even more awkward than the one in the office, Travis. Um, <laughs> uh, that was great. Uh, he's left that awkward dinner party and he's on his way to Jerusalem where uh, Easter we'll see that he is crucified. But he's gaining some popularity because he's doing miracles. He's healing people. His teaching is challenging and interesting. There's a wee bit of buzz around him, right? People want to see what he's about. But you could call these crowds fair weather fans, right? They're only after him because he's popular. They're kind of like Man City fans after 2008. They only support him because they're successful now. Or like Swifties that only know the new stuff, don't know the old stuff. I'm trying to be relevant for like things that I don't know anything about. Uh, there's a sense in which this crowd is only following Jesus because he is popular. Because he's doing something new and different. But Jesus takes an unusual approach to the crowd, doesn't he? You see, most leaders, politicians, musicians, influencers want to attract more and more followers. They want to attract a big crowd. We even see this in churches, don't we? Being seeker sensitive, doing everything we can to attract more and more people. But Jesus seems to be doing everything he can to thin the crowd. He's not interested in fair weather fans. He wants true disciples, true followers. Jesus isn't very seeker sensitive here, is he? He says, if, if you really want to follow me, it's great that you're all here, but if you truly want to follow me, you've you got to hate your own family, you've got to die on a cross, and you've got to give up everything you own. See, Jesus is again reinforcing his point that proximity to him isn't the same as truly following him. Remember, uh, we looked at um, chapter 13 a few weeks ago, in verse 26, the people come and they say, uh, but Jesus, we ate with you. We, we heard you preaching on the streets. And Jesus says, depart from me, you workers of evil. I don't even know you. There is a difference between being around Jesus and being in Jesus. There is a difference between being in the crowd and being in the kingdom of God. Somebody once said that in a breakfast of bacon and eggs, the pig is more committed than the chicken. And it's true, isn't it? Chicken is up an egg. Pig has its life taken. And Jesus knows that there, are in the peop that there are people in the crowd for all kinds of reasons. He's challenging their commitment to him. Some are there just to see another miracle. Some are there maybe to get healed. Some are there to see if he's the one who's going to uh, uh, overthrow the oppressive Roman Empire. Some people come to church because they just like the community. Some people come to church because they think it's morally right. Some people come to church out of habit or tradition. But Jesus wants us to know what it means to truly follow him. He's saying that there, there's a high cost involved. There's a high cost in being a disciple. And we must be willing to sit down and consider this cost. Three times in this passage, Jesus says the words, you cannot be my disciples. And we protest at this, don't we? We say, that's not fair. That's not very tolerant. That's not very inclusive. I mean, that's not very... 2024 is it 
But the point is that, that in order to follow Jesus, we need to give up everything. And when we do, we find out that he is worth sacrificing everything for. Are we willing to give up everything to truly follow Jesus? In these two parables, uh, Jesus tells um, later on in the passage, he says, sit down and think, sit down and deliberate, consider. And, and maybe you're kind of at a crossroads today. Maybe you've been in and around church for a while, maybe your whole life, and, and you've never actually sat down and considered the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. You've never actually considered what there is to gain and what there is to give up. Maybe you're in the crowd, but not yet in the kingdom. Well, Jesus is saying, take this opportunity. You're sitting down right now. Sit down, consider. Think about the cost. This is what parents do with kids all the time, isn't it? We teach our kids to consider the cost, to consider their actions. This last week, I took Finley to the Titanic Museum because he's doing Titanic in school. He's kind of obsessed with it. And he had some pocket money to go to the gift shop afterwards. And, um, I mean, it's all trash. None of it's worth spending your money on. But anyway, he's a kid in the gift shop. And, and he saw two things he really liked. And he had only enough money for one. And so I had to encourage him to take a second, consider which is worth putting your money into. Which one of these paths is, is the right one for you? What is worth putting your money into? And in many ways, life is a journey of considering if the thing we're going after is really worth the cost. You see, the first thing that we see in this passage is that truly following Jesus comes at a relational cost. There's an, a relational cost to following Jesus. Look at verses 25 to 26 with me. He says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, so he's talking to the crowds, the fair weather fans, the Man City fans. If, sorry, if you're a Man City fan, I will pray for you. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father or mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's shocking, isn't it? Jesus, how can you be so intolerant? Jesus, how can you say these horrible things? Jesus seems to be saying on the surface that we have to hate our own family in order to be a disciple. But, we have to read this passage, like we read every passage, in light of all of Scripture. Because Jesus never contradicts himself. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. In Mark 7, for example, he repeats, Jesus repeats the Old Testament command to honor your father and mother. In Ephesians 5, husbands are told to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In Matthew 5, Jesus gives the instruction to be reconciled to your brother. In Luke 6, he even says that we are to love our enemies. So, how is it that he is also saying that we must hate our families? How can we uh, encourage Tom and Amy to, to sacrificially love and raise their children and encourage our church to help them in that if Jesus says you've got to hate your family? Well, this is what's called a Semitic exaggeration. It was a common way of, of, of Jewish communication in these days. Shocking hyperbole to express meaning. Jesus wants to get his listeners' attention. We see this in Genesis 29, when it says that, that Jacob, uh, who wrongfully, uh, not condoning uh, polygamy, but had two wives. Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah, it says. In the very next verse, it says that, that Jacob hated Leah. He didn't hate her, he loved her. But he loved Rachel far more. Or, in the movie Madagascar, who's familiar with this movie? I mean, the I'm not comparing Genesis to Madagascar, but here we go. Um, when the animals arrived on Madagascar from New York, uh, and all the lemurs are talking about how much they love them, and the little one says, uh, they're all saying, I love them more, I love them more. And he's like, no, 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 it's, it's like you hate them compared to how much I love them. This is what Jesus is saying. 
Jesus is drawing a comparison. He's saying it isn't actually that in our hearts we hate our family. No, it will be the opposite of other places where we're commanded to love. Jesus means that we will make even our family a, a, a second priority to follow in him and love in him. When we follow Jesus, our family is no longer our number one priority. Of course we love them. Of course we give ourselves up to them and we care for them with self-sacrifice, putting them above ourselves. But following Jesus is our top priority. In fact, it's only when we love Jesus as our top priority that we can love our families the way they're supposed to. In other words, we can't let our families get in the way of following him. We are to put him first, put Jesus first. Loyalty to him and love for him is to be greater than our loyalty to and love for everybody else in our life. See, there is a relational cost to following Jesus. Some places in the world, even today, and maybe even in this country too, the choice to follow Jesus means being ostracized by your family, being cut off. Or maybe for others, uh, following Jesus mean, means going overseas and it might affect family relationships. I remember like a long time ago, to bring up Madagascar again, a long time ago, Haley and I were considering, uh, should we uh, go overseas and, and serve as missionaries? And, and that brought some parental discomfort at the thought of taking their beloved grandson away from them. Some, uh, some frosty conversations were had. <laughs> if you are single and desire to be married, following Jesus, putting him, him first, might mean that it's harder to meet the spouse. It will almost certainly affect all of our friendships. Your friends might consider you strange and old-fashioned. You might even lose friends. But the point is that there is nothing more valuable and more vital than following him. So valuable is this goal that it is worth giving up everything in pursuit of it. And it's always for our good and our pleasure. What might seem counterintuitive is actually the way that we were created to live. And the most joy and peace and satisfaction are to be found when we give up everything in pursuit of Jesus. And the thing is, making sacrifices for the people we love, that's not a foreign concept to anyone in this room. We make sacrifices for the people we love all the time. We choose to do things that honor our parents, hopefully. We, 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 if you have kids, you certainly know what it means to sacrifice things uh, for your kids. If you're married, it means you'll know that as well. It means you earn three months of strictly every year. That's the only joking. I don't even work it. We all make sacrifices for the people we love. This is what we do. A, a friend of mine who's a pastor in America, Tony Morita, he says that if we love Jesus supremely, we will sacrifice for him gladly. We sacrifice for what we love. We sacrifice for whom we love. Truly following Jesus comes at a relational cost but it also comes at a self-sacrificial cost. We see this in verse 27. Jesus says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross cannot come after me. These crowds are following him because he's doing the popular thing. He, he's doing some great miracles. Uh, there are some people getting healed and, and you're like, well, maybe there's a chance I could get healed or, you know, whatever. But Jesus says, you've got to take up a cross your own cross. Now, for us, maybe that's not that shocking. But when the people in Jesus' day 
who are Jewish people living under the oppression of the Roman Empire heard this, it would have been completely, it would have been offensive. You see, in the Roman Empire, if you saw someone carrying a cross, you knew that they had a one-way ticket. You knew that they were on their way to die. There was no coming back from carrying your cross down the road. To carry your cross was to be on a path towards shame and torture and death. Jesus, this is one thing that you can say about Jesus. <laughs> Regardless if you agree or accept or reject his teaching, he doesn't sugarcoat anything. There's no hiding behind anything. He's up front. There's a real cost. Now, he's not saying that all followers will literally be martyred. Of course, some will. But not all of us will be required to physically die for Jesus. But all followers of Jesus are required to die to themselves. In fact, earlier on in Luke, we saw that, that Jesus says that, that we must take up our cross daily. So if this is a daily thing, it can't be a physical dying he's talking about. But we are required to, on a daily basis, put to death all the things that prevent us from putting Jesus first. Our selfish ambitions. Our desire for comfort and luxury. Maybe it's the dream of living in a certain place. I remember uh, 12, 13 years ago, uh, friends of ours who had opportunities to move to another place in the UK for, for greater career opportunities and probably a, greater, a better lifestyle. When, they, when we were starting to get the village off the ground, they, 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 they were captured by this desire to, to sacrifice that move to, to greater financial opportunities and social opportunities and all that kind of stuff. Because they want to be part of what, uh, what God is doing here. And, and sacrifice that for, for staying here. Jesus is, is, isn't talking literally about dying on the cross. But it's dying to ourselves. It's self-denial. It's prioritizing following Jesus over our own preferences. And most of us on some level will know what this feels like, won't we? The decision, if you're a Christian, not to have sex outside of marriage. Giving generously to the church poor instead of saving for a holiday, refusing to lie to cover yourself at work. It looks like many different things, but, but we must each carry our cross if we are to be a disciple of Jesus. And you need to ask yourselves, what are we doing with our lives? That's a big question, isn't it? I remember the years my parents asked me that. What are you doing with your life? Um, are, are we doing what matters? Are we like the Franklin Expedition? Are we, are we living just for the luxuries? Are we, are we gathering up the, the, are we trying to travel with the 1200 volume library and the, the, the musical organ and the silverware? Are we idolizing our health and well-being and fitness? Are we pursuing comfort and luxury and money? And listen, we do this most of the time without knowing we're doing it, without realizing it. It's just instinctive. You know those David Attenborough videos of like, the, the, the baby turtles hatching on the beach and there's, there's hundreds of them all coming out of their eggs and all going to the woods to see. It's like us. We're, we're, we're born and all instinctively just join this race. We don't know what else is, around us is doing it. And we just pursue comfort and luxury. Avoid suffering. Have as nice a life as possible. We don't even know why we're doing it. It's instinctive. So we try to get a job that we like so we can do the things that we like so we can get more of the things we like. We live for the trips away and the nice clothes and, and, and as if this is all there is to life. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having trips away or wearing nice clothes, but, but we never stop to consider that is this really all there is? Is this what we are meant to be doing? And Jesus says, if we aren't willing to die to ourselves, we cannot be his disciples. 
need to stop and think. We need to consider what it means to follow Jesus so that we don't just give up when the going gets tough. Verses 28 to 30, uh, Jesus tells this parable and gives the example of like a building project that runs out of money. We've all seen grand designs. We all know that I love grand designs. And, and there's those projects in grand designs where they haven't budgeted well and they're like, we'll do this for 25 grand. And then suddenly it's like 755 grand. And, and Kevin comes back five years later and they've got seven more kids and they're all living in a caravan on the building site and the house still isn't finished. That's what Jesus is saying here. You haven't counted the cost. Being a disciple, following Jesus, means that we have to consider what it will cost us. It might cost you your friendships and relationships. It might cost you your job. It's not inconceivable that in the near future, even here, it could cost us our freedom and society. And Jesus says that if you want to follow me, you need to count the cost and ask, is it worth it? Is he worth it? The other example we have here is, is, is deciding to go to war. If you're going up against another army that outnumbers you, you're definitely going to lose to soldiers. Is it worth it? Should maybe I just like go and shake hands and exit? Sit down and think it through, he says. And I think most of the time when we find that following Jesus is too hard, when we want to give up, it's because we blindly walk into it without considering the cost. We just drift through life. We think, well, I'm a, I guess I'm a Christian now. Oh, that's actually really hard. I have to sacrifice some stuff. And here's the secret. It's not a secret. Here's the thing. If we aren't willing to give up everything in the pursuit of following Jesus, it will be too hard, right? It will be too hard because it's not our number one priority. But if we make Jesus our top priority, if he is the, the person that we love above everything else, even when the going gets tough, even when we are asked to sacrifice things, we can do it because we know it's worth it. So we've seen this relational cost to following Jesus, the sacrificial cost of following Jesus, and finally Jesus gives us a, a, um, this lesson that truly following him comes at a material cost. Look at these last few verses, 33 to, 30, or 33 to 35. So therefore, because of everything I said, said before Jesus says, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has, again, cannot be my disciple. It's impossible. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears, let him hear. When Jesus says, come and follow me. And that's the invitation that's open to every single person. He says, and we say yes. He says, come and follow me. We say yes, there is a cost. And Jesus sums up this cost in verse 33 when he says, renounce all that you have. But the Greek word for renounce here is literally say bye-bye to you. <laughs> say goodbye. Say goodbye clinging on to relationships or the hope of relationships or desires or, or your lives or, or your money and possessions. Jesus is getting at here when he says all that you have. The connotation is material things. Now, Jesus is not saying that all of us have to give up owning everything and move up the Cape Hill and live like hermits. As much as you might want to because you're an introvert and hate people, that's not what Jesus is saying here. We're called to be in community. But he is saying that... Uh, 
we can't cling on to our material comforts, that these things can't be our top priority. Like in, in Luke 19, we're going to see later on when, when Zacchaeus, who is a wealthy tax collector, when he decides to follow Jesus, he doesn't physically give up everything, but he does, out of his great wealth, give sacrificially and give generously. This is what we are called to. And the problem in our culture is that, that, that we seem to think that we can live with the comfort of a king and go after possessions and luxury and making them our top priority, but also somehow follow Jesus. But Jesus has already told us that, that to whom much is given, much will be required. If you are wealthy, you are called to be very generous with that. Now, whatever God has given you, you are called to give. You are called to be sacrificial with that. You're called not to make your treasure, your wealth, or your comfort, your possessions, or your money. To truly follow Jesus means that the material comfort won't have a hold on our lives. It means that we won't prioritize material wealth and things. And this is hard because we live in a material world, to quote Madonna. We live in a world where comfort is king where suffering is to be avoided at all costs, where we're all in the race towards, like the baby turtle, towards a better life, towards more comfort, towards more stuff. Like, we live in the Tommy Haverford world. Who knows Tommy Haverford? Parks and Rec, right? So Tommy Haverford goes on a camping trip, and he has this giant tent, and it's full of, like, air conditioning, TV, hi-fi. He's got, like, DJ Roomba, which is vacuum cleaner with a thing on top. He's got a coffee machine. He's got all his things, and he turns to the camera. He just says, I love stuff. <laughs> and we all love stuff. We, we're conditioned to love stuff. We love that thrill of the Amazon man coming, don't we? Oh, yes, what's in this package today? We love going online and order a new thing or booking a holiday. We're addicted to stuff and we don't even know it. And it seems to me that, that most of us in our culture, myself included, and please hear me, I'm saying this to myself, we don't take Jesus seriously when he talks about material sacrifice when it comes to following him. But we should take it seriously because Jesus says it is serious. He says we cannot be his disciples. He says if we aren't sacrificial with our material things and our money, then we cannot be his disciples. He says that we will be tossed out, not even worthy of going on a manure heap, like salt that's lost its flavor. So why do we not take him seriously? To truly follow Jesus means that there will be a real material cost. We will prioritize Jesus over our material comfort, our money and our possessions. We will use our material comfort, our money and possessions for the good of others and the advancement of his kingdom. If you have a house, if you have a home and the ability to put food on a table, then you will use it to have your friends over to speak to them about the gospel. If you have money in your bank account, you will use it to support the ministry of your church. If you have a paycheck every month, you will use part of that to directly help those in need. If you are part of this church, and in particular, if you're a member of this church and you're not financially given, then you need to ask yourself why. And by the way, if you are in financial need or material need, don't suffer that alone. Let us know. We're a family. We want, we're in this together. If you are in financial need, then, then, then come and let us know and we can help. Following Jesus means that we will not prioritize material things and money in pursuit of our own comfort. Rather, we will use those things that he has given us, those good things, for the advancement of the church and the care of those in need. This is why we collect food from the food bank, right? This is why we, 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 Chloe is leading us in farms to, to reach out to refugees in the area. 
you see, you might be wondering, why did Jesus tack on this little bit like salt here at the end? It seems kind of strange. But I think that most, most of us, most people in the world are looking for a purpose in life, right? Who's looking for a purpose? Even, even in our church, I have this conversation all the time. We want to be useful. We want to have direction. You might compare yourself to somebody else's life and say, they have a more fulfilling life than I do. But what is our purpose? Is it relationships? Is it your family, your friends, your member's church or the spouse, your, your having children? Are these things good purposes in life? They're certainly good gifts, yes. But if you do get married or if you are married, you'll pretty quickly realize it's not going to fulfill you in the way you thought it would. Same with having kids. It's, it's brilliant. It's great. It's one of life's greatest gifts. But it's not going to satisfy the longings of your heart. What about material comfort? Is that your sole purpose in life? You retire at 55? Now I'm 40. I'm like, I think that's not what, you know, I need to start investing something to retire at 55. Is that my goal to retire at 50 early and, and, and have a sweet, comfortable life and go on the cruises and go on the, go to the Bahamas or something? Is that a good purpose in life? You see, Jesus starts to talk about the salt because we all want to have purpose. We all want to be useful. And, and being a disciple of Jesus gives us a purpose a true purpose, an eternal purpose, an eternal gives us an eternal legacy. Who doesn't want that? This is why Jesus uses this analogy of salt to finish with. You see, salt is good. In these days, particularly, it was really valuable because they didn't have fridges and it preserved the food, but it, but it also adds flavor. Particularly if you're buying, if you're poor and you're buying cheap meat, you know, it, it brings out the flavors. But, Salt without saltiness is worthless. It doesn't improve, if it doesn't improve flavor, it's pointless. And Jesus is saying, if you give up everything to pursue discipleship of him, then you will have true purpose, true meaning. Yes, you're going to have to give up everything to pursue it. But it's the only thing that's going to give you a lasting legacy, a lasting purpose, a true meaning. And if you feel like you're lacking purpose, if you are lacking meaning or direction or maybe struggling with that feeling that your life doesn't mean that much, then the answer is to throw your lot in all with Jesus. Go all in on Jesus. Because the half in, half out life is miserable, isn't it? That's miserable. Uh, on, my, on my stag, we went to, we took, uh, we, we sailed from Ballycastle over to Isla, right? Which is one of the islands off Scotland. Famous for its whiskey distilleries. And I'll leave it up to you to think about what we did there. But anyway, um, we had this moment where we were parking the boat and I had one foot on the boat and one foot on the dock and the boat started to drift away. And believe me, that is not a comfortable position to be in. You have to decide very quickly, am I going to go on the boat or am I going to go on the dock? The half in, half out lifestyle is miserable. If you're lacking purpose, Jesus says you can be purposeful. You can be useful. You can have meaning. Jesus says, Pursue being a true disciple. Don't give up on purpose. Don't lose your distinctiveness. Don't give up on the scriptures. Don't, don't stop taking a stand for what is right. Don't stop defending the defenseless. Pursuing Jesus at all costs gives us true purpose. It's like that, you know that pink Himalayan rock salt just sprinkled on the, the perfectly cooked steak. That's what being a disciple of Jesus is. You know, somebody asked me, is it worth it? And I'm nearly done, but I want to consider this for a second. Is it worth it? You know in the movie Men in Black, 
And this, this has been going, doing the rounds again as a meme. Um, Tommy Lee Jones asked Will Smith, or, or Will Smith asked Tommy Lee Jones if he's been offered this opportunity to become the agent. And he has to give up everything. You're going to have to give up your identity, your family. You can't speak to your friends. Again. It's, it's just going to be, this is who you are now. And Tommy Lee Jones, he says, is it worth it? And Tommy Lee Jones says, oh yeah, it's worth it if you're strong enough. But Jesus says, it's worth it because I'm strong enough. Because you can do it. None of us can do this. That's the point. Because he's strong enough. Is it worth following him? Paying the relational cost, the self-sacrificial cost, the material cost? Yes. Because nothing else can give you a purpose like this. Nothing else can give you an eternal legacy like this. You want to be useful in life? You want to make a lasting difference in the world? Give up everything and follow Jesus. Notice what Jesus says over and over again. He says, if you idolize your family, if, if you don't die to yourself, if you cling on to all material things, you cannot be my disciple. He's not saying that you're not allowed. The invitation to follow him is open to everyone, but he's saying it's impossible. Like if you, it's, it's like going to somewhere that has a dress code, a big sign that says no trainers, and you want to wear your, you know, you know, your Tom wearing his brand new Night Air Max, whatever new one you've got recently, I don't know. Less since he's had kids, let's put it that way. <laughs> If you don't take off, if you don't wear the right shoes, you can't get in. It's impossible. Jesus is saying, if Jesus isn't the most important thing in, in our lives, then we are not disciples. It's impossible because disciples, by definition, prioritize Jesus above all else. And so our church, we're in this season of two years where our vision is, is prayer, discipleship, and, and evangelism. But discipleship begins with this. It begins with deciding to go all in on Jesus begins with deciding that he is worth it, that we can trust him when he says, follow me. A conscious decision to leave everything behind. Jesus is saying to us, all of us here this morning, come follow me. So we need to ask ourselves, what are my priorities? Am I willing to, to hate all other relationships in pursuit of him? Am I willing to die to my own desires daily? Am I willing to surrender all my possessions Follow Jesus and, and pursue his kingdom. And the answer is yes. The answer is he is worth it. Because when we surrender to him and, and when we lay down everything, and I think that even the best of us have only scratched the surface of this fully. And someday he'll show us what it truly means. But when we do that, we find not only that we gain a true purpose, but, but also we find that Jesus is worth it. We, we gain something of immeasurable value. See, Jesus is worth it because no one else atoned for my sin. No, no, nobody else died for me and made me a new creation. Nobody else secured my eternal future. Nobody else is preparing a place in heaven for me. So is it worth it? Yeah, you bet it's worth it. Somebody goes back in the 75, 80, 85, whatever years we're here, it will, will seem like a, a, a speck. Whatever cost we might pay is worth it because we get Jesus. We get the pure joy of knowing him now and forever. The one who loved you and gave himself up for you. He has given his very self. There is not one thing that Jesus had that he did not give up in pursuit of you. Can you let that sink in for a minute? There's not one thing that he had that he didn't give up in pursuit of you. The Bible says that he emptied himself. He was God. He, he was there before the world was even made. He 
He spoke it into existence. His home was heaven, his glory. And there's not one thing that Jesus had that he did not give up in pursuit of you. Guilt is very glory. So let's, church, it, let's resolve to pursue him. Let's resolve to lay, our, lay down claims to our own lives, to our own relationships, desires, material comfort. And let's pursue him because he is worth it. And maybe you've been around churches or Christian people or whatever for your whole life and you're thinking, is this worth it? It's worth it, trust me. You get this purpose in life. You get this eternal future. You get this security. He is worth it. And maybe you just all learn to give up everything to follow him. That's a hard saying of Jesus, isn't it? It's worth it. Let me pray for us and then we're going to take communion like we do every Sunday. Uh, Father God, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you that even in the hard things that you never sugarcoat anything, you never leave us in the dark, you never leave us asking, well, what is this all about? You, you tell us exactly what it means to follow you. Lord, I pray uh, for those of us in our church this morning who maybe have wandered blindly into being a Christian, who haven't considered the cost. I pray that you help us, Lord, to show us the things in our lives that we are clinging on to, parts of our lives that, that we need to give up to you, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit would just be at work in our hearts this morning, just doing this work for us to show us, yeah, I idolize this, I idolize that. Lord, help us give up everything in pursuit of you. Help us to find that true purpose that comes in following you. Lord, I pray for anyone that hasn't yet trusted you. Lord, I pray that you would just make yourself irresistible right now, even in the midst of a hard saying like this, that, 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 that you would show us that you're worth it, that today would be the day that someone puts their trust in you for the first time. And Lord, as we, as your people, come to your table now to take this meal that you prepared for us, the bread and the wine, Lord, I pray that you would just impress on us, make it clear in our hearts and our minds that you did give up everything for us, that the Lord Jesus emptied himself even when he, he took on, he emptied himself of his glory and came to earth and took on flesh, he emptied himself of all honor on earth, taking on a cross, taking on the, the death of a slave, the death of a criminal, so that we could have that eternal future. Lord, help us to see that and be grateful and be thankful as we come to your table. Help us to resolve to live for you again, to pursue you at all costs. And we pray these things for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, church, stand with me as you're able as we prepare to come to the Lord's table this morning. Uh, we do this every Sunday. Uh, this is a, if you're not familiar with church, uh, the church, since the, the day before Jesus died, has taken this meal of bread and wine. And it symbolizes very simply that Jesus gave up everything in pursuit of us, that he gave up his very life. The bread represents his body, which was broken for us. His blood, the wine represents his blood that was spilled for us and, and, and is a sign of this promise that he is for us. He doesn't pursue us just once, he is for us forever. And so if you are a Christian this morning, if you are trusting in Jesus, if you are walking with him, you are welcome to come to this table, regardless of what church you belong to or your church background. If you are trusting in Jesus, then come to the table and receive the bread and wine. There'll be two people up here who will serve it. If you're not a Christian this morning, then we would just ask that you wouldn't take this. If, if it... This is just something that's for people who have received this and who have said, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. But instead, the invitation is there. Put your trust in Jesus. No, honestly, nothing else is worth it. Come to Jesus. Put your trust in him. Receive that purpose for your life and receive that eternal future that he offers. We remember what the Bible says. We remember that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread. 
and broke it, saying, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after the bread, he took the cup, the cup of wine, and says, This cup is a new covenant. It's a new covenant in my blood. And as often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. Later on, uh, one of the early church fathers, the Apostle Paul, he says that as often as we eat the bread and drink the wine together, that we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So come, come thankfully, uh, come with gratitude in your heart for the fact that Jesus gave up everything. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And when you're ready, come forward. Um, we will, of course, have people at the front if you want to receive prayer for anything this morning. Maybe you have questions about Christianity. Maybe you feel something stirred in your heart. Maybe you have a need in your life. Come forward and receive prayer. And we would be glad to pray with you this morning just right up here at the front. Um, so let's, as we sing, come forward to the table.